Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have a full, full uh, slate of topics, but we also have a guest panelist, a returning panelist. Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca, it's been some time, but we're glad to have you back. It's been too long. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here today. Well, before we jump in, Rebecca, just quickly tell our listeners, what are you up to? Where are you at these days? Yeah, so I've had a couple changes of jobs since last time I was on the show. Um, So when I left, I was leading the Wisconsin Working Families Party. I left that role to be on the Wisconsin team for Elizabeth Warren's presidential race. Um, But now, uh, for a little over the past year, I've been leading, uh, anchoring the uh, race class narrative effort here in Wisconsin. Uh, It goes by the name All in Wisconsin. You might see us on social media. I have a really phenomenal team and work in coalition with an incredible array of groups that very much include citizen action. So um, didn't go far. Well, we're really thrilled both that you're there, but also that you had time to uh, step in today since Claire is on vacation. But um, we are fortunate to, as always, have Robert Craig, our executive director, is also with us. Robert, good to have you. Uh, Good to be here speaking to you from Denver. So super early in the morning, mountain time. Ah, so Robert's in Denver. I'm actually in Indiana on my way to Charlotte. And Rebecca's eh, the only one actually in Wisconsin today. But um, we have a lot to talk about. Um, We are going to continue in our efforts to talk to U.S. Senate candidates. And so uh, we're very fortunate later in the show, we'll be joined by Stephen Olakara and we'll have him on in the last two segments, but let's jump in. We have a lot to talk about. Build Back Better uh, continues uh, to be one of the most important things happening in our country. This is a historic opportunity. We've been talking about it every week uh, because of the historic nature of what is in both the infrastructure bill, but also the larger, what we're calling the human infrastructure bill. Uh, Robert, why don't you just update our listeners since last week? Uh, Deadline, uh, self-imposed deadline was missed. Uh, What's the latest and where do we stand? Yeah, and the self-imposed deadline, though deadlines are necessary to get action in Congress, was a sop to the corporate Democrats, not all moderates, the nine that signed a letter saying they would not support the reconciliation bill. That's the full Build Back Better $3.5 trillion over 10 years agenda. But unless we had a vote on the roads and bridges bill, the little bipartisan bill, little comparatively, um, first, and uh, Nancy Pelosi to move things forward agreed to this artificial deadline. It did help flesh things out and put pressure on the uh, corporate Democrats. Uh, But even the Washington Press Corps, everyone, has to concede, though they're loath to do so, that the progressives won the week, that the newly organized Congressional Progressive Caucus and the uh, block of of progressive senators stood firm, and they had a lot more folks than this small group of corporate Democrats who speak for the biggest lobbying interest in the country as it goes crazy and makes historic spending and investments in trying to stop this agenda, uh, the progressive won. And Pramila Jayapal, former People's Action Affiliate Director, says an action is a 
fellow People's Action affiliate, as chair of that caucus, was all over the Sunday morning shows and is being acknowledged as one of the most powerful forces in Washington. We haven't seen this kind of unified inside progressive power in at least half a century. And that that's not hyperbole. Seriously, folks, maybe maybe the early 70s, but it was more disorganized then. Though there were a lot of progressives in the, in the Senate and the House still coming out of the mid-60s. So moving forward, uh, Nancy Pelosi has announced a new deadline of the end of October. It's less of a firm deadline, I would say. There are some pundits speculating this goes till December. It looks like, as of the recording today, that the Senate Republicans, McConnell, are going to back down slightly and move the deadline for defaulting on the debt, their current act of legislative terrorism, to December and have a deal with Chuck Schumer and the White House. But it's possible these will line up again because the Republicans are trying to start another big lie. Everything there is premised on big lies, and that is that this huge uh, infrastructure and human infrastructure, uh, uh, the whole Build Back Better agenda and the action on climate is somehow related to our current debt. They're the ones who've been running up this huge debt and just did so under Trump to record levels. And now they don't want to pay their own credit card bill and want to blame Democrats. They're just using this as a tactic to try to stave off uh, the reform we all need. So what this means is we have another month to explain what's in the bill, because new polling this week, the, pub, the bill is extremely popular, even though very few people know all the things that are in it because of the, the coverage and because of the constricted timeline, because it's all crammed into one budget resolution because of the filibuster. So, Rebecca, we have not had a chance to hear from you uh, since as a, it's been a while. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the statuses. It's been a historic debate, your thoughts on where we stand as, as, a, as a movement, but also as a country to potentially uh, pass both of these pieces of legislation. Yeah, you know, it's clear that the, uh, you know, a, a couple of corporate Democrats, if we can even call them Democrats in the Senate are trying to hold President Biden's agenda hostage. And I think, you know, it's really kind of been incredible to see the House members and the House progressive members step up to defend his agenda. You know, this certainly isn't uh, a Bernie Sanders agenda or an AOC agenda. It's not Medicare for all. It's not the Green New Deal, but it is like a really important step forward. It's something that we promised to deliver for the people of, of our country and of the states that elected folks to represent them. And you know, if, if there's one thing that we're seeing across Wisconsin and across the country right now, it is unprecedented cynicism about politics, about politicians, about both parties. And uh, the there's a lot that we can do when we talk about these issues and share information in our communities, but we really need strong partners in uh, DC and in Madison, but in, in on Capitol Hill, we need strong partners to deliver. So we can we can prove that, you know, when everyone came out last year and marched in record numbers and voted in record numbers, uh, in spite of this pandemic, came out, called their elected officials, that it matters. And, and that it matters for some of the most important and most expensive things in our lives, whether it's childcare, caring for our elders, um, our elders caring for uh, their teeth 
and being able to hear and have conversations with their loved ones and their eyes and their vision. I mean, these are all things that, you know, when we pass Build Back Better, we'll be able to extend to every senior in Wisconsin and childcare for every child and parent in Wisconsin. And so that's what they're fighting for. And it's really exciting. And I, I think the president's really fortunate to have so many fighters in his corner um, defending his agenda uh, because it would not be enough to just pass an infrastructure bill that does important work for our roads and bridges. But, you know, as uh, Pramila Jayapal says very well, you know, what good are the bridges if people don't have cars to drive over them? Or what good are creating jobs if people can't take the jobs because they can't afford the childcare? So we really need both hand in hand. And um, it's been pretty remarkable to watch this play out. Well, Robert, uh going to give you quick the last word on this uh it is still a bridge that we have to cross to get these holdout corporate democrats this week there was a uh, some different price tag numbers floated as if that would possibly address the problem your quick thoughts on uh possibly what's next uh, uh before we go to break folks just need to know what's in it i think the inside game of progressives has been unprecedented. The outside game is scattered and too many of our own activists don't know the incredible things at stake. I tried in 1300 words in Up North News this week in an op-ed. We'll provide a link on the website in the Battleground Wisconsin section to lay it out. It's even hard in 1300 words because so much is crammed into one budget resolution, but it's just a transformation. And it's a jobs bill. It's a jobs bill for average people and, and all the supports you need for jobs and all the jobs that are left out and, uh, and and depreciated because of uh, structural racism and structural sexism, particularly in caregiving and the climate work. But I just say the corporate Democrats are the last remaining conservatives. They like filibusters because they don't want meaningful reform. They're the folks who don't think we need any. Republicans think we need it. They think we need radical transformation the wrong way towards fascism. So they're, they're the only remaining conservatives. They're not moderates, and they're and they're and they're and they want to protect corporate America. So people need to speak out. We need to up our outside game, and we need to to specifically educate everyone in our networks about the things that are in this. And I can just ask people on this call: just take one big thing in this: childcare, family medical leave, climate, um, real justice for caregivers, or a, a profession that was left out by the New Deal because of structural racism and because it's mostly women. I could go on and on. The point is here, and there's a union, high wage jobs, not just counting jobs, like, a, like more mixed jobs and gig jobs helps us. And so that's what we need here. And, uh, and this is just incredible. Focus on something, get the word out, call every member of Congress. We need a public cacophony right now in this next month to get this over the top. That does make a difference even with corporate Democrats. With that, folks, we have to take our first break. You are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about Build Back Better and the critical juncture we're at in Congress. Vote, hopefully, there'll be conclusion to this this month Robert was right folks you really do have to reach out even if you you think you know where that congressperson is please reach out make sure that they know thank 
folks who are supporting this, please continue to put pressure on. Make sure Ron Kind, if he's your congressman, he hears from you. Um, one other thing I, before we switch topics, I do want to thank everyone who was involved in uh, a number of the media events we have been doing around the state, quite frankly, for a couple of months, but we had a couple more this week. Robert was at one in La Crosse around caregiving and just the huge things that are in there for caregivers uh, in Build Back Better, but also uh, we did uh, 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 an event with iGen Pu, who is with the National Domestic Workers Alliance and caring across generations and uh, also putting a a fine point on all of the amazing things that are in there for caregivers. Uh, but we got to change topics. We do have to spend some time talking about what's happening here in Wisconsin. And it is, it, you know, it's, it's kind of sad jumping back to talking about Wisconsin, both because of the lack of things that are happening, uh, but also what is happening is, is quite shameful. Um, I wanted to get your folks' thoughts on the latest intrigues this week around the Gableman investigation. Again, folks, this is the state assembly, Republican assembly investigation. It is a sham, phony investigation, whatever you want to call it, around the big lie. Uh, but the big news this week is Gableman says he's uh, he's subpoenaing, subpoenaing, excuse me, five cities. These are all Democratic, larger Democratic cities where most of the state's communities of color live uh, and carrying on. He also commented to the Journal Sentinel this week that he didn't really understand how elections work. Rebecca, this is, this is un kind of unbelievable and that this is actually coming from a former Supreme Court justice. This, uh, this, uh, this circus goes on. Your thoughts, Rebecca, on what we're dealing with here in Wisconsin around the big lie? Yeah, well, my thoughts are that this is completely believable. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's not a laughing matter. I, there's a, been, uh, since before 2020, an unprecedented effort to uh, spread lies and distrust about our democracy and our electoral system. We know, obviously, that a lot of this has been instigated by actors overseas, um, in particular, you know, in Russia, um, we know that they, there are folks who around the world who have a vested interest in undermining our democracy, but also the call is coming from inside the house more and more. And I think, you know, for folks who breathed a sigh of relief after the November elections in 2020 and thought, okay, our democracy worked and saved the day and we can just go on as business as usual. Uh, I hate to say, unfortunately, that's not the case. And I think as we look ahead to 2024, uh, you know, there is there's a lot of work that we need to do. And so what we're seeing right now uh, among, you know, these shams, as you call them, I wouldn't even use the I word, you know, I wouldn't even call them investigation. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call them any of the words that they use. I, I would just call them shams or scams, quite frankly. Um, and the purpose of them isn't to uncover information. Mm -hmm. It's to keep the conversation going. It's to continue to undermine people's faith in the election. And it's also to distract from their complete inability to lead. You know, I think People came out in record numbers last year to elect new leaders to deliver on pandemic relief, to deliver on the things that our schools need, our communities need, safety for everyone in Wisconsin. And of course, there's a handful of politicians in Madison, uh, first and foremost, Robin Voss, though he's not alone, 
who have been obstructing those things. And, you know, the last thing that Voss and his cronies want Wisconsinites to realize is that they are standing in the way of the things that we came out in record numbers in a pandemic to demand they do. So this is the Wisconsin version, we all know, of the um, Arizona fraud that is being recognized as such. Um, by the national media, at least on the uh, the progressive sides, you have CNN and MSNBCs of the world. And frankly, it may be more pernicious because the one thing you can say about the Arizona fraud, as comical as it was with the cyber ninjas, it resulted in Biden picking up votes. So, of course, I believe the original results. In this case, it's just the main point is, and I talked about this last week, is the fascist propaganda technique of proving a conspiracy by focusing on it and investigating it. And so he's just assuming probable cause when there's none. So the first big lie is that there's any evidence of any serious problem with this election that would call into question the results. The second big lie, less discussed by the media, quite frankly, is the assumption that if there are problems, a false premise, that they're on the Democratic side and that Trump should have won. Where is the evidence uh, that there's more of a problem in the major cities that voted for for Biden? Because guess what? That's where Democratic and progressive voters tend to be. We're, we're, We're naturally migrating towards each other geographically in this country. A lot of research on that, that there's fraud there and not in Waukesha County. What is the deal here? Is it because there are more white people there? I mean, seriously, there is a code racial element to this. And I'm sure Rebecca would likely agree with the work she's doing right now. It is what we call racialized. It's an an undertone. And then there's trying to use all of the fake prestige of Michael Gableman, a a Supreme Court justice, a one-termer who was elected fraudulently by running a Willie Horton-style ad against Wisconsin's first ever Uh, state Supreme Court justice who was African-American, Lewis Butler, that was proven wrong and that says an action in a complaint got the Judicial Commission to agree it was wrong. But then there was a partisan deadlock on punishing Mr. Gableman or potentially removing him from office, which could have happened. Uh, Judicial Commission has that authority, but there's a partisan block on taking action, kind of like the impeachment of Donald Trump. And so here we are. We just have to fight back hard because this is part of the attempt to steal the 2024 election and to lay that groundwork. And the groundwork is defeat Tony Evers and basically have a Republican governor and legislature decide who Wisconsin's electors in 2024 are um, if there's any if there's a Democratic victory and to take the election away and to exploit every weakness in the Constitution and the Electoral Counts Act that was passed after the last big crisis um, in the 1870s uh, around a presidential election. So we're ground zero, and we just need to fight back. But we have to understand that what they're doing is effective, and it is sowing doubts and convincing their own constituency that the election was stolen, which is their main purpose here. So, Rebecca, I think uh, you were accurate to say shouldn't be called an investigation. I like the uh, sham scam. So maybe it's the phony sham scam. But uh, folks, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, But we got to move on. I want to get comments from both of you on it's a big anniversary this week. It's the four year anniversary this week of the historic announcement of the groundbreaking and 
largest ever jobs creation called Foxconn. That's right, folks. Four years already it's been since Trump and Walker announced it was this week. Rebecca, four years of Foxconn, four years of failed economic policy. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, anniversary? <laughs> what is there to say about Foxconn that we haven't already said on the show? Uh, no, I mean, I think like that we knew what it was at the time. I think a lot of other leaders knew what it was too. I mean, Representative Jonathan Brostoff, of course, comes to mind as the person who uh, coined the term the Foxconn. But um, we knew what it was. And what I hope Democratic leaders in Wisconsin, all leaders in Wisconsin take away from that is, yes, that was the most extreme, egregious example of not even corporate welfare, but like corporate political bribery. Uh, but that that is like, you know, put forward that concept, that type of quote unquote investment is put forward by lots of folks in, in less egregious ways as a legitimate way of generating jobs and employment. And I think, you know, hopefully that outlier kind of shows just how wrong footed that approach is. And I hope that we can, um, you know, as a movement, coalesce around the type of job creation and build back better or in the Green New Deal and not, you know, giving away um, our collective resources that could go to things like our health, our childcare, our schools to these, you know, profiteering corporations. Well, look, every business leader in the state in the long hearings, I wait, waited till late into the night to testify, claimed this would be great and said be more than 13,000 jobs. Where, why isn't me chasing them down? WMC, Tim Sheehy, the whole group and asking them and the UW officials that gave credit to it and just ask what the heck happened? You said this is gonna be the greatest job creation in Wisconsin history and look what, what happened. Isn't this a question of your whole model of corporate subsidies is the way to grow the economy and create opportunity? It's a big lie. Yeah, I, and I'll just close. Rebecca, you were 100% right to put this in context to build back better. That is exactly how we should actually be creating the jobs of the future and not this uh, corporate giveaway of Foxconn. But with that, folks, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really excited to have another candidate, a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. We have been interviewing and will continue interviewing candidates who are willing to take on the challenge to beat Ron Johnson. And this week we're joined by Stephen Olakara. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And it's great to have you because you're someone, maybe not all of our listeners know about, but they're about to learn a lot more, not only on the show, but over the next few months. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and why are you deciding that you're the right guy to take on Ron Johnson? Well, thank you. Well, I grew up in Brookfield, Wisconsin. My parents are immigrants from India, so I'm proud to be a first-generation American running for this seat. And honestly, as the son of immigrants, politics could not have been a more foreign concept in the sense that I didn't know public service was even a, a thing that you could do professionally. 
you know, my parents uh, highly emphasized engineering when I was growing up. And I thought for most of my life as a good Indian son, I would become an engineer. Uh, but that all started to change with my first passion in life, uh, which was music. And uh, people who often have different racial, ethnic, or religious backgrounds. And music was a powerful unifier. And I really thought about the spaces we would create, those open and empathetic spaces uh, that created those conversations. And in the same way that the diversity of our musical groups led to stronger art, uh, I believe that the diversity in our democracy, if uh, structured in the right way uh, and communicated in the right way, can lead to a better kind of politics. Uh, so that became my core sense of being. Now, two other important things about me is uh, my mom is, uh, was a longtime unionized uh, public employee at our local uh, school system, and my dad, uh, has been an engineer. My brother also is in Milwaukee. Uh, he's an engineer. And, you know, for, you know, for me, I think that uh, getting involved in politics was a way to express this kind of diversity of experiences I had uh, growing up. And that first happened through uh, the Obama campaign uh, and then happened through uh, founding the Millennial Action Project. Uh, and the earliest ideas I had for Millennial Action Project happened uh, while I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm a proud Badger. In fact, I'm the only Badger uh, in this race. Uh, and I studied environmental studies there. In fact, I'm proud to be the first ever environmental studies major to graduate uh, from UW uh, as I was involved in, in creating that major. So at that point, my thinking was, how do we take on the challenge of climate change and how do we create a kind of politics that allows us to do that? Uh, and I quickly saw the, the systemic breakdown of our politics. Uh, and so the real purpose of Millennial Action Project uh, which was founded in 2013, was to train a generation of young leaders in public office uh, who can not only build diverse coalitions, but create these structural systemic changes to our democracy so we can be prepared to solve uh, climate change, uh, among other long-term issues that we're facing. Uh, so that group was highly successful. Over 2,000 young elected officials that are part of our, our network. We have chapters in Congress in 30 states, including here uh, in Wisconsin have been on the front lines of passing legislation from uh, voting rights expansion to uh, gun violence prevention to climate change. Uh, and now we're looking to take that movement to the next level. Uh, our former Lieutenant Governor Barbara Laden was among the people who encouraged me to consider uh, this US Senate race. Uh, and I believed, and I continue to believe that uh, this race will uh, heavily shift uh, our uh, future as a country. And, uh, and my whole mission for being in this U.S. Senate race is to create a more inclusive politics uh, that ensures dignity for all. So I'd love to jump into some of the issues, but um, that is my uh, mission for being in this uh, U.S. Senate race. Robert. Uh, thanks for joining us, Stephen. And nice to see someone from the nonprofit world. We certainly know what it is to try to build an organization, raise the resources, et cetera, as you've done at Millennial Action and other, other things you're involved in. Uh, just let me ask you, and by the way, nice to hear Barbara Lawton's name. I was a, when I was still finishing my PhD, a driver for Ed Garvey in the 1998 governor's race when Barb was lieutenant governor candidate. And so she was often in the car if they were both going to an event and got to know her a bit. So great to hear her name. Uh, so I just ask you this, among progressives, the idea of bipartisanship, because you talk about building bridges, right, and talked about that in terms of music, 
rings more like the bipartisanship demanded by Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema. That is, we insist there be Republican votes for it or we won't do it, regardless of the nature of the Republican Party, which has been entirely purified. It doesn't have conservatives in it. It has radicals, right-wing radicals in it. Now, the conservatives, if they're left, are that small group of corporate Democrats holding up Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda. And so what would you say, since our audience is primarily progressive, though some folks, you know, it's a diverse Democratic Party, so there are plenty of folks kind of on the center left that also listen, and are, but, are, but are more centrist than we are on the spectrum, even though they're left by standards of our society. What would you say to them about your position? Are you saying that you just want to do things that you can get support from, say, Republican legislators for, regardless of what their positioning is? Or are you saying something else about how to break down the divisions in our society? And if so, how does it differ and what is it? Yeah, thank you, Robert. And the way I identify is, we talked about this earlier, is as a radical bridge builder. And, and you mentioned how you identify as a radical pragmatist, which I love. Um, so that really is my North Star here. Like, you know, when we talk about some of the progressive issues uh, that are motivating our campaign, like getting big money out of politics and ending the system of legalized bribery. Um, that Those are going to be my priorities. And so my North Star is, how do you get those things done? Now, if there is a way to get 50 plus one votes as a, as, through just the Democratic caucus, uh, then I would pursue that. But if you have to get some Republicans on board, well, uh, we're going to have to do that as well. I think that's part of the job that I'm being hired, hired to do uh, as a U.S. Senator is to be a legislator and a coalition builder. You know, I think we have far too many people in the U.S. Senate and Congress in generally who are focused on making tweets that go viral instead of getting legislation that actually passes. Um, and so I'm going to be a workhorse in the U.S. Senate. And one of the reasons why I spent so much time thinking about and developing these ideas around bridge building is because I do think uh, we have a wrong, uh, we have a misconception of how that happens. Um, I think the worst types of bridges to be built are where we, you don't bring your principles to the table and you compromise on core values. And then you find some kind of mushy, least common denominator. Uh, to use a football reference, uh, I don't believe it's about meeting at the 50 yard line all the time. Uh, in fact, I actually think through a conversation, you can meet an, an, at an entirely different uh, field uh, altogether. And so it's about having the conversation um, and doing so in a principled way. And I use jazz as an analogy here because the best kind of jazz conversations I've had is when you are invited to bring your full self to the table, your life experience, your values and your principles. That's how you build a strong bridge. And so it's quite different than what you see from uh, Joe Manchin. I think when you look at how Cory Booker has built some of his bridges on issues like criminal justice reform, uh, that's closer to what I'm talking about. Well, let's, let's talk about say, build back better, right? Um, it's long overdue generational reform. It's very big on a big number of issues, so many that we have a lot more explanation to do. The delay is good, because the more people know about this, the better. But it's pent up need. And then you have the climate disaster coming our way. And then the delay does risk the real voting rights and democracy legislation that's so necessary. I know you care about a lot based on, on your previous work, Stephen. And so what would you be doing to build a bridge? It just seems like the modern Republican Party, to me, 
And with the because there was a dream in the 60s of chasing all the all the all the right wing reactionaries into one party. Well, we succeeded. And we have the most progressive Democrat Party since that period, way more than than when we had a segregationist wing up until the 60s and 70s. Uh, but we also have this other side we can't can't work with. My, I've written a couple different places that the, the new bipartisanship is within the party, not between them. In other words, it's figuring out how to get Manchin and Sinema on board and the, the nine most conservative Democrats in the House who have tried to, to work with them to hold up, build back better, and just do a roads and bridges bill that has some good things. But quite frankly, it does it goes backwards on climate. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old view of infrastructure. And worse, um, it act, most of the jobs, because their construction, go to white men. It doesn't even do the things we need to do on racial and gender equality that the rest of the package go does. I know we're almost at the Briggs. I know Matt wants to handle this, but um, I know Stephen has time to start or we do this after the break, Matt. But um, wondering what you'd be doing right now if you were in the Senate in order to get this passed and who you who you think you could bring over. Tell you what, we'll take a quick break. Stephen, hold that thought. We'll get that on the back end. I do want to let our listeners know Rebecca Lynch had to leave us. We are really grateful that she was able to join us for the first couple segments. Uh, but we have got to go to break. We'll be right back to hear more from Stephen. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenaction.wi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking with U.S. Senate candidate Stephen Olakara. Stephen, Robert had just asked a question before the break, and I had to interrupt you for commercials. Stephen, it is now the floor for you to answer. Yeah, thank you. So I think the goal here as a legislator in the U.S. Senate is to say, how can I deliver impact for my constituents? Uh, how can I hear from their urgent concerns for relief right now? Uh, for example, when we're talking about some of the bills in front of uh, Congress right now, there's this infrastructure package. Well, right now we have 48,000 children in Wisconsin who don't have access to reliable broadband access. Uh, so you have people who need help right now. So my view and my style of politics, which I've demonstrated to be successful over the last 10 years is say, how can we deliver impact as quickly as possible to the people who need it? And then develop also solutions on these generational challenges like climate change. Um, and so that's the job. I, I, I think to go back to the criminal justice reform example, you know, I think people who, the most progressive position we can have is how can we make sure that those people who are sitting in prison right now can reunite with their families uh, as quickly as possible, especially those who are there for nonviolent drug offenses um, and are casualties of this uh, war on drugs. Um, so what I'm not going to say as a U.S. Senator is it's important for me and my party to take all the credit so people can stay in prison longer. I think my view is to say that we need to be passing legislation so those people can go home as quickly as possible. Um, so that's just, so when it comes to like the reconciliation bill, um, my focus would be trying to get a uh, cinema and mansion on board. So we do have enough votes to, to pass it um, because if we don't pass it, then all the impact that we're looking for uh, from those bills uh, isn't going to exist. It continues to be a theoretical uh, exercise. And that's where the, pra the, the, the radical pragmatist thing that I love that you said, uh, Robert, I think, is the right way of looking at this. It's inspired by uh, um, Bobby Kennedy from 1968, who found ways uh, to bring disparate parts of our country together around some structural reforms that will help our most marginalized communities. And that's my, my vision for governance. 
Do you have anything, so, any oh, thought, uh, not one question, Matt, that yep. quick follow-up. I know Matt has other questions and we only have this last segment. Um, that is, any thoughts on what would Bridget, they've tried everything with Mansion and Cinema. You've been watching this. Uh, what, 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 based on your experience, might work that isn't being tried now by Joe Biden, who's a great deal maker, for example, Chuck Schumer and the, the whole rest of their caucus, the other 48 Democrats? Yeah. Well, the thing that's tough here is um, we're, we're talking about how, how do we get something over the finish line at the very end of the process? And I, what I see happening legislatively that is a breakdown often are things that happen at the very beginning of the process. If you haven't brought in the right allies and had the right conversations at the beginning, then the, the breakdown is pretty uh, uh, burned into the process towards the end. And then you're just nibbling around the edges to try and get uh, certain people on board. So this is not the kind of bill and the, not the kind of process that um, I would be, um, you know, th that you can make significant changes to at this point. But I do have uh, experience working with uh, a cinema when she was uh, on the House side. Um, and, you know, you'd have to be able to sit down and have conversations on on what would actually get them uh, over the finish line. And, and if those in-person conversations aren't helpful, well, then you have to use your bully pulpit and change the public conversation around these issues. And that comes down to leadership. Do we have leaders who are capable of not only following what polls are telling them to do, but are able to fundamentally change public sentiment? And that's what I've been doing over the last 10 years. Well, really appreciate your going in depth on, on that philosophy. I'm going to change the pace a little bit and just ask you, Healthcare is a huge issue. It's a huge issue that, you know, we care about immensely here at Citizen Action. Um, and, you know, look, we, we see the private system as a huge impediment, essentially barrier to people being able to live their full lives, right, and have, have full health, access to health. Like to hear your thoughts on healthcare, where you stand on uh, where you'd like to see us go uh, as if you were elected to the Senate. Yeah, well, first of all, it's, it's personal for me because uh, my family has had um, had, had significant um, challenges with the healthcare system um, over the years, and um, and you know I've, I've seen the direct impact that uh, health insurance can have, and also some of the predatory practices that they can have as well. Uh, my core view is that healthcare is a human right, and by guaranteeing healthcare to all Americans, we're able to. Uh, help to help people pursue their dreams and their passions. And I'll share a personal story on this. Uh, when I was first starting Millennial Action Project and deciding, do I leave a safe and stable job and take this leap of faith on a startup as an entrepreneur, um, the question of benefits uh, came up because you're, uh, you're jumping into this risky endeavor and you don't know if, if you're gonna have healthcare among other benefits. Um, and because the Affordable Care Act had passed, and I was under the age of 26, I was able, at the time, I was able to stay on my parents' health insurance. Uh, and I believe that can be scaled up in the sense that um, if you have health care and you know you won't be losing it if you're gonna take a risk on a new business, um, that's gonna help boost entrepreneurship uh, in our state and in our country. And I think that's a new contribution uh, that I wanna make to the healthcare conversation. Now, my biggest priority is addressing the root cause. And that's one of the reasons why I talk so much about money and politics. I'm someone who looks at the system and looks at what is the root cause for this uh, dysfunctional uh, set of circumstances. Uh, and in my view, we have a broken healthcare system that says 
volume is king. If we keep prescribing and doing more things, then uh, that's how we're going to make more money. And that's where the incentives are, are misaligned. We need a value-based healthcare that system that's valuing your health, not giving you more treatments uh, and preventing a lot of uh, healthcare issues in the first place. Um, so transitioning to that kind of system where doctors are incentivized to keep you healthy as opposed to doing more things for you is the biggest thing we can do to reduce uh, healthcare costs in this country. Uh, and then the second big thing is that we need to make sure that health insurance is universally available and that Medicare is able to negotiate with drug companies. But to be honest, we're not going to really get there unless we get some of this pharmaceutical and big, all that big money out of politics. Robert, follow up. So what does that mean as far as the big agenda items on healthcare that are on the table right now? In other words, does that mean since Medicare and a public system could restructure the system better, the current system is structured for profit. If you want to move to a value-based system, you probably have to have a lot bigger role for democracy. And so that's lowering the Medicare age, expanding the Medicaid benefit, giving everyone access to Medicare. In other words, a very robust public option, perhaps the stepping stone to Medicare for all. Where would you be on all of those issues? I think there's no question we have a low value system. The question is what, is, what is the solution? What are the policy levers that could create that? This is a wild, wild west, private market directed system structured for profit and little else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, we have seen some isolated examples of where healthcare systems have moved to that value-based system as opposed to the volume-based, uh, where, for example, doctors are compensated uh, on a salary basis and not based on, on volume. Um, so we've seen that happen even with some um, you know, private providers or nonprofit providers. Um, in my view, uh, the insurance system needs to, we do need to take the profit motive uh, out of it. And so I think the best way to get there is to have a very robust uh, government sanctioned nonprofit option that's available uh, to all Americans. And that way uh, there's not only more competition in the health insurance market, uh, but also, Anyone like myself who was an entrepreneur, um, I would have an affordable way of getting healthcare, regardless of uh, the insurance providers uh, in my area. Um, but I do think there are other things that we can do to help reduce costs uh, right away. Like, for example, to reduce prescription drug costs, which has become an issue from many senior citizens that I talk to. Um, we have to allow Medicare to negotiate just like um, similar systems are able to do around the, around the world, like in Canada. I wanted to give you one final chance to tell our listeners, you know, if they want to get involved, if they're interested in finding out more about your campaign, how would someone get involved in, uh, in, in your efforts? Absolutely. Well, first, I should say we're building a historic grassroots movement that is inclusive in the state. Uh, it's the kind of movement we haven't seen uh, at least in 10 years. Uh, so we invite everyone to be involved. Uh, they can check us out uh, at stephenolicara.com. Uh, find us on social media at Stephen Olicara. And uh, please get involved. We, I believe we've, ha- we've recruited the most volunteers of any campaign uh, in this race so far because we are a volunteer-driven effort. So please get involved that way. Find us on social media. 
um, everyone's invited to be a part of this movement. And with that, we really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you all for having me. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Matt. Really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you to Citizen Action Wisconsin. The work that you've been doing on issues like getting money out of politics and ending the system of legalized bribery is an inspiration to me. I'm excited for us to work together and take that energy uh, to the U.S. Senate together. We got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Rebecca Lynch for sitting in and being a guest panelist for us this week. Really appreciate it. Look forward to having Claire back next week. And of course, we want to thank Stephen Olakari for joining us. And with that, we'll see you all next week. Battleground Wisconsin.